Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. The UK is in the grips of a cost of living crisis that has been exacerbated by uncertainty across the economy. In particular, soaring energy prices and inflation and the ongoing war in Ukraine. This follows a global pandemic and the end of the rather chaotic Boris Johnson era, not to mention turmoil caused by Brexit. This week, Liz Truss has stepped into number 10 Downing Street, promising to lower taxes and jumpstart the economy while tackling spiralling inflation and the energy crisis among her top priorities. Within hours of being asked by the Queen to form a government on Tuesday the 6th of September, Truss hired a former media executive, Michelle Donnellan, to take over the Culture Secretary reins. On today's campaign podcast, we're going to take a look at the new regime and also new research by Reach that looks at what the cost of living crisis means for advertisers. I'm joined in the studio by campaign's premium content editor, Nicola Merrifield. Hello, Nick. Hi. Also joining us remotely is Reach Director of Market Insight and Brand Strategy, Andrew Tenza, who recently published a report that will be shortly discussed called Cost of Living, What Mainstream Britain Really Needs from Brands. Hello, Andrew. Hi there. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Now, Nick, I've recently returned from a couple of weeks holidays from the calm Kent countryside and jumped into what feels like a political thunderstorm as we welcome a new PM in Liz Truss and Cultural Secretary in Michelle Donnellan. Now, it's important to note that we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, the 7th of September, which is the second day of the Truss era. So details are still relatively scarce and it all feels rather new. Now, Nick, you've been gathering views from industry leaders about what they'd like to see from the trust government. Um, I've also had a few comments as well about Donlin. Uh, what has been the overriding sentiment from the industry on trust as PM? Yeah, so um, we've been speaking to yeah, a few people in the sector and they want to see a prime minister that listens to them as business leaders, which is probably unsurprising. Um, and they're also looking for certainty after the vast amount of uncertainty in recent years, which has obviously been related to Brexit and COVID. Um, and some some have made some more specific points. So um, recruitment is obviously an ongoing issue for Adlan. So any uh, regulations or policy decisions you can make around that to make it easier to recruit talent from abroad is is on the to do list. And there's also been mention of uh, unnecessary regulations and restrictions such as the HFSS proposals and whether they could be scaled back. Um, and and lastly, the, the, our industry wants to make sure that the economic contribution that advertising makes is actually recognised. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very similar to some of the views I got this morning um, when reporting about Donalyn. Just before we go into that, I mean, I just want to ask you, uh, what, what are your general perceptions of, of Liz Truss? I mean, she's been around cabinet for a number of years now. I, I believe she's the longest serving cabinet minister um, of this current government. Um, what, what are your impressions about her, how she communicates? Uh, what are you expecting? Well, um Looking at her campaigning style, it seems to be, which probably is no different to a lot of politicians, to be fair, uh, making a promise and then not really having a, an action plan, uh, backing it up. So behind it. Um, so, yeah, the tendency to, re- to release these promises and then not actually have a, a policy um, following. So we haven't actually seen the details of her plan to deal with energy bills. And that's um, I mean, that's expected shortly. But she did talk about it a fair amount on the campaign trail and didn't didn't actually provide any firm uh, details 
Yeah. So that might be telling of her future style. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It'll be also quite interesting to see how she sort of handles the media and that relationship. I mean, I, th- I think you'll recall, you know, under the Johnson regime, you know, he, he was quite combative uh, with, with certain media organisations that, that didn't quite tow the, their agenda. And um, I feel like trust with only a couple of years to the next election probably needs to adopt a slightly different approach um, in terms of media relations and getting the message out there. Uh, look, with, with Donlan, um, you know, I was speaking to well, a number of people this morning. The sentiment has been fairly similar, to be honest. It's one of sort of cautious hope that she'll be a bit more collaborative um, and a bit more constructive than Nadine Torres, um, you know, who at times was perceived as, as taking a blunt ideological hammer to policy. Um, so I, I guess yeah, people are looking for a more pragmatic or evidence-based approach that that does, you know, that does the right things for not just the industry, but I guess just, you know, the population at large, really. Uh, a couple of comments I just wanted to sort of raise. Uh, ISPA's Director of Public Affairs, Rob Newman, said, you know, the best thing that they could do would be to work with us, listen to us and make policy that helps not hinders our industry, which is a huge engine of growth. Um, and the IPA's Director General, Paul Bansfair, he calls for stability and, and he made a really good point, actually. You know, we've had 11 culture secretaries in 10 years. I mean, that's that's quite remarkable, Gosh. isn't it? <laughs> That's a bit of a depressing thought, really. <laughs> yeah, it is a depressing thought. Um, now, if we look at Donalyn's history, she, she does have a background in the industry. Uh, she works for Sky in a marketing capacity, I think, I believe, with the History Channel. Um, and she's also worked at Pacific Magazines, which is a publisher um, sort of based in, in Australia, I believe. So, she, you know, it feels like that, that gives her a few more insights than, than what a predecessor might have had about the industry. Um, it's also interesting to note, actually, she um, she was a, a, a senior marketing exec at the wrestling organization WWE, which is a really interesting feather in, in her cap. Um, her intro is going to be massive, really. Let's go through some of the things she has to deal with. The privatization of Channel 4, which which had been pursued you know, with quite a lot of vigor by, by Dorries, um, despite strong opposition from the media um, and advertising industry and even the wider public. Um, she also will have to look at the BBC's license fee business model. There's, a, there's talks about a review of that happening. Uh, the online safety bill that is currently making its way through parliament um, and, and lots of advertising legislation, you know, around high fat sugar or salt products. Um, there's also a review for paid for online advertising and a review of gambling, marketing and advertising. That is quite a big to-do list, isn't it? On your first day in, 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 a, in a new job. Yeah, it's a fair fair amount to be um, getting on with. Um, but like you said, her background in media should hopefully mean that she doesn't have to be so heavily briefed and can kind of get to grips with this quite quickly. So yeah. maybe there, there is a reason for this kind of cautious optimism. Yeah, that's right. Now, I think I think I think it's quite an important point actually. Hopefully, it'll give her sort of you know some fresh eyes to look at things a little bit more pragmatically, uh, and she'll be across the detail a little bit more easily, um, let's say, than than a predecessor. Andrew, uh, I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on you know your quick views rather on Liz and Michelle and, and what you would like to see from them from an industry standpoint? Well, I think it's, it's similar to what, what other industry leaders have been discussing. I think, um, you know, understanding the value of advertising that it brings to the economy. Um, I think from a personal perspective, um, I just hope that there can be a, a decency brought back to, to political life. I think that has been lost uh, for some time, particularly over the, the most recent uh, administration under Boris Johnson. And I just think that there's 
certain uh, behaviors in, in public life and standards that, you know, most of us would expect, which has been lost. So I'm really hoping that that we can return to some kind of normality. Um, but that, that obviously remains to be seen. But I think it'd be really interesting to see what, what develops, particularly on the, the privatization of Channel 4. Um, obviously, there was, you know, there was, they were quite keen to go ahead with that and whether then that might potentially be reviewed, I, I, I don't know. But as you say, there's a there's a, a very big to do list there. Yeah, absolutely. And the point that you make about trust in political life, I, I think it's a really interesting one. And it'll be interesting to see you know, if trust does try to to sort of be a, a little bit more, as, as you said, decent, honest with the public, um, rather than sort of being overly optimistic and and short on details. Uh, we, you know, it's it's a really difficult brief that she's got right now, um, and it feels like if she doesn't have the support of the public, um, it's going to make, and, and even the support of her own party members, it's going to make life incredibly difficult. Uh, that sort of, sort of brings us nicely, or I wouldn't say nicely, but it sort of segues neatly into the research that you've done, Andrew, because uh, Reach did take a look at how the cost of living crisis has been impacting um, consumers and, and, and their thoughts about what this means for advertisers. I just want to provide a little bit of context before we sort of dive into the details. Uh, the consumer price index has now hit 10%. I, I believe it reached that mark last month. Um, and energy prices are forecast to increase by, I think, is 80% in October. Is that sound about right, Nick? Yeah. And, and a further 50% early next year. Um, that is ridiculous uh, for households. Uh, I think that it's going up to £3,500 plus um, in October for the average variable and you know, five and a half thousand if, if it continues to, to inflate the way it is. Now, we're told um, that Trust has promised to cap um, household energy bills to £2,500, uh, which will provide much needed help for struggling consumers. But businesses still face crippling energy bills uh, that are threatening their very survival across many, many different sectors. Um, and, you know, we've also seen in, in certain sectors as well, workers striking, um, you know, uh, that's happening in the media, including um, in your organisation, um, Andrew. Um, I appreciate you're not in a position to talk about that and what's happening there specifically, but you are rather qualified to discuss what consumers are thinking and how Adland should respond, um, which is an issue that Nicola's also been looking at as well. So do you want to give us some of the key findings um, of the research and things that brands should be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the first thing to say is obviously there is a huge amount of research being published on the cost of living and, and the impact that has on people. So I think that obviously represents a, a, an interesting challenge for us because obviously advertisers are coming to us and agencies and you know asking for insight. Um, so the research we did wasn't really focused on you know what people are cutting back on and what products and services that they're, they're using less or spending less on just because you can get that from elsewhere. Uh, there was no mm -hmm. point repeating that. Um, so really, we wanted to look at, you know, how should the advertising industry respond from, a, a, I guess, a marketing communications perspective? Um, and I think one of those, I think the thinking behind it was, um, I think I always think back to when COVID hit and, um, you know, obviously brands sort of immediately jumped to the we're here for you messaging, um, which, you know, understandably it was... a interesting time for everybody it was kind of a unique unique time but you know ultimately that lent itself to advertising being quite bland not very distinctive 
um, and then ultimately ridiculed to a certain extent. If you can remember the viral, every COVID ad is, is the same video. Yeah, that's right. That, a great video. Exactly. So, so if, I think there are, there are lots of interesting things from our research. I, I, th- I think the first thing is that obviously there was a lot of talk about, you know, the proposed upcoming government campaign calling on businesses to kind of divert their spend from, from marketing into, into cutting prices. And obviously that, that was met with, um, you know, <laughs> a lot of anger within the industry. Um, but I think one thing we know from, from our own data from this research is that, you know, that, that is not being driven by the consumer. So we found that over the coming months, the majority of people expect brands to advertise as often as they, as they always do. And in fact, a lot of people expect them to advertise more because obviously it's challenging times. You're competing for, for sales. Um, but I, I think the, the key point for us is that it tells people you know that they aren't going to resent brands for doing what what they've always done and that is advertising and trying to to influence uh, people into buying their brands and products mm-hmm. um, i guess the, the, the other key point is we were looking at the credibility of, of brands to talk about cost of living in their advertising and essentially we found that only around um, a quarter of, of adults feel that, that that brands as a whole uh, have uh, it's appropriate for brands to, to focus on the cost of living in their in their advertising. Obviously, this differs wildly by category. So we actually asked that for um, for eleven different categories, and the average was was twenty four percent. So twenty four percent agree that it's appropriate for brands to talk about the cost of living in their advertising. Averaged across all categories, what's I thought was was really interesting is that. Even amongst those who are very, who say they are very worried about the cost of living and the impact on their, their, you know, their, their finances, they only scored twenty eight percent for for agreement. So it's it, whatever way you cut the data, that the, the scores are the same. The reason being is that you know people expect brands to behave in a certain way. So you know people aren't stupid. You just mentioned that the 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 inflation rate and um, the highest for sort of forty years and. There is an, ex- an overwhelming expectation that brands will increase their prices over the coming months, um, and obviously that makes it quite challenging for any brand that wants to, you know, press ahead with a cost of living message. Um, but I think there is so obviously there's conflict, but there's also nuance too, as you would expect, because what we found is that the country were more or less divided on whether the price rises were fair. Um, so actually, if people are if price rises are baked in. You know, in people's thinking, then you know maybe it doesn't necessarily impact on on, on credibility. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about you know what categories have have more credibility. Um, but I think one of the, one of the, the the key things that that came through in the research is that you know the the cost of living is a not only what's interesting about the cost of living crisis is not only a a personal issue, uh, but it's also a societal issue. And the challenge that brands have is, you know, they're not necessarily always seen to be acting in the great good. So again, that impacts on on, on credibility. Um, and then one of the other things we saw is that we know that brands with current cost of living messaging is not aren't necessarily getting it quite right. So we mm. we gave our sample list of positive and negative words that they associate with uh, with brands who have a cost of living message in their in their advertising. And you know the majority of the words that were selected were, were negative. Um, so you have things like uh, the top three being selected are like exploitative, cynical, hypocritical. 
So there's, you know, a challenge there that maybe some of the messaging doesn't quite land as, as, as one would hope. And obviously there are good intentions there. Um, so for me, this suggests like, you know, obviously brands are, talk, are walking quite a, a tightrope, um, but there are positive associations too. So albeit at a lower level, people, you know, talk about hopeful, empathetic, optimistic, but they're not cutting through, cutting through as strongly. Um, in terms of the credibility piece, I mean, you know, unsurprisingly, the brands, uh, the, the categories that have the most credibility are things like supermarkets and uh, food and drink. Um, you know, ultimately, those are purchases that we're, you know, making, you know, regularly. And, um, you know, it's unsurprising. So whilst the average was 24% for, for appropriateness of talking about cost of living for supermarkets, it was, you know, sort of 48%, you know, very, very, very high. Mm. Uh, and, you know, naturally for those types of, of categories, you know, people want to hear how those brands are going to help them through, through the crisis from, a, you know, in terms of explicit messaging. Um, but ultimately there are going to be some categories that we would argue should just steer clear of a, a cost of living message uh, entirely. Give us a few of those. Yeah, things like beauty, gaming, you know, they score much, much lower than the average. Uh, you know, we're, it's an interesting one around gaming, isn't it? Because yeah. people that are gaming a lot are obviously wasting a lot of electricity and, and piling up their, their electricity bills. But, you know, I think my, my, my kind of hypothesis there is that gaming is about escapism and, uh, and things like that. And I'm not necessarily sure that value is a key a key uh, category entry point to, to, to gaming, but it, it almost feels a bit like from what you're describing the categories where it feels a bit like a luxury item or a luxury category, uh, you know, things like beauty, uh, which some people might view as essential, but, but a lot of people will probably think, well, I can do without that. Um, and that's going to cut, save me some money. Uh, gaming is another one. It's, it's sort of like an escapism, as you mentioned, it, it's, it's almost a, something that you can do without save you a little bit of electricity. I'm definitely going to have that conversation with my son come Christmas time. Um, <laughs> whereas, whereas in, in, in with supermarkets, it, I, I guess what supermarkets are very good at, they're, they're very good at sort of marketing um, and advertising how people can save money and, and, and people go into a supermarket, point of sale um, marketing is very strong. They can see and compare. It feels like supermarkets are in it with them, if that makes sense. Yeah, very much. I feel like it's an end-to-end holistic experience and it's an expectation as well. I mean, I think even in, you know, non-cost uh, of living crisis times, value is a message that they've always hammered home. And mm. I think it makes an important point because what we found is that, you know, around six in 10, just because people don't necessarily want brands or think brands have the credibility to, to focus about, you know, focus on it in their advertising, 60 or 58% expect brands to to play a role in helping them through the crisis yep. so the question there is like well how how can they play that role and you know it, it's something that we've talked about a lot through our other research but value people expect brands to prove the value of their products you know beyond like you know lowering prices or keeping prices the same which is your natural response for how people can help brands it's about proving the value the quality the reliability of the product and you know when i've been out I often go out and talk about, you know, the, the factors that drive buying decisions uh, through previous research that we've published. And a lot of people think that that value is is a kind of, it means the lowest price or the cheapest. And 
my point there is it, it's not a race to the bottom. It's about, um, you know, when we ask people in this research, you know, what does it mean when it comes to kind of, you know, value in relation to brands and products? And it, it's quality, it's reliability, having that kind of, you know, that, that feeling that you're buying something which is, you know, durable or, or whatever it might be and gives you that peace of mind. I guess the other the key point to make is that something that we've reinforced for a long time because we've been tracking uh, with the, the beauty of the, the research is we've been able to track um, stuff that we've been researching for the last three or four years. So we have data from pre-COVID and um, where it provides quite an interesting comparison point because when we ask people, you know, what are the factors that are important when buying brands and products? Obviously, we're asked, we're not talking about the cost of living. We're just put, you know, they're answering it in the context of the of the world we're living in at that particular point. And what's mm. very clear is that, you know, the fundamental drivers of buying behavior have remained exactly the same. It's value for money, product or service quality, reliability, which usurp everything else and i guess one of the interesting aspects is things like sustainability uh you know some of the more social purpose marketing elements which are obviously a key talking point in the industry we've seen them decline significantly since covid uh, since pre-covid times you know understandably people are in a crisis um and you know they're focused on that product quality and services so some of those social Purpose marketing strategies might need reassessing in the current uh, in the current climate. Um, and I suppose one other final point, just to make, uh, just in terms of the, the the comparison data from peak COVID. So, for the past three years, we have been asking people to rate their quality of life, and then we cut that data by household income. And uh, what's really really interesting about the most recent data as part of this research is that we see two interesting things happen to people's perceived quality of life. The first is that people on household incomes of £100,000 plus a year or more are actually seeing a, a significant increase in their perceived quality of life, which kind of suggests, you know, the rich getting richer. But really, we, I, my hypothesis is that, that people on very high incomes, whilst they're also impacted by the cost of living crisis, I think there is a recognition that they're probably going to be able to to tough it out and they'll be okay. And there's a mm. recognition of that. But where we are seeing the biggest, what I would say, deeper emotional impact is on households earning 20 to 40,000 um, pounds a year. They've seen a significant decline in their uh, perceived quality of life. Uh, that's the only income bracket that, that's seen a decline. Um, and let's not forget that's 19.2 million adults. That is a lot of people. And I think when you look at how they're cutting back they're not that much more likely than incomes are higher incomes than them to be cutting back on on spending um so i think this suggests that there is a real anxiety here um not even necessarily about the point in time it's about what we know is coming down the line and i think that's a really important thing for brands to be conscious of because that's mental health and well-being that that's what the research tells us that people really value so how and tap into that and alleviate some of that anxiety, I think is going to be is going to be really important. Yeah, Nick, Nick, there's quite a lot to sort of unpack there, isn't there? But some of the key themes um, that Andrew mentioned uh, was the fact that uh, not all categories and not all brands should be playing in this cost of living messaging space, um, and and also there's a, a sort of there should be you know, think very carefully about 
um, your, your purpose-led marketing and the sorts of things, I, I guess, that we saw a lot during COVID uh, where brands sort of lent in to, to try and show their value or worth in, in helping consumers get through that. A lot of consumers don't necessarily want that from brands during this crisis. Um, you recently read a report about how some agile marketers are trying to help uh, during the crisis. But what did you learn and what are brands, what have, what have brands been telling you? Yeah, so um, we've been speaking to uh, some senior marketers for our upcoming Power 100 uh, magazine issue that's coming out in campaign. And we've been asking them about some of the challenges that they see at the moment and that the biggest challenge. And um, the ones that I've been chatting to have been saying that it is the, the need to adapt and the need to um, remain agile. And some of them have brought up the fact that COVID has taught them this is really necessary. And there's obviously the current cost of living crisis. So, so how are they going to stay on top of this, potentially change their, uh, you know, pivot and uh, figure out how to best position their brands, what one of them said, um, to give the highest impact activities for their customers. So it's everything that Andrew's been talking about. And you mentioned the tightrope of trying to have this nuance of whether to directly address the cost of living crisis, but not wanting to ignore the the challenging circumstances that so many people are in right now. Um, so I think, yeah, for them, it's about ensuring that they can change uh, and adapt their strategy. Um, and I mean, COVID has provided a useful lesson in in that way. Um, lots of them you know, had to change their messaging, um, some more successfully than others. Uh, I know you mentioned how it could have led to some quite bland advertising maybe, but there were some successful um, changes that, that took place in the uh, during the pandemic that had to happen. So mm-hmm. I was just thinking about um, KFC had to remove its finger licking good slogan. Um, yep. That was completely necessary. Um, and then you had the this kind of counterintuitive message from Uber saying, thank you for not riding um, during the very early stages of the pandemic. Um, so lots of, there are lots of things to look back on maybe to, to try and understand how to be agile in this new ch- challenge that's coming up. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it's certainly going to be an interesting time for brands. But the the main thing that they're recognising is that they need to be ready and able to change. And also, one of them said they just really want to make sure that they're creating a culture that celebrates adaptability and resilience in their own teams. That people do feel able to in in marketing teams, you know, to put ideas out there. And and I guess it's really interesting timing as well when you think about where we're at now. We just started September. Um, yeah, a lot of brands will already be working, I imagine, on their Christmas campaigns and, and trying to get the messaging for Christmas right. Uh, yeah, let's be honest, Christmas is still you know for a lot of brands uh, about consumerism. Um, but I think it's going to be such an interesting challenge this year about how they sort of adapt their messaging uh, to make it less about consumerism and more. I don't know, consumerism, but not in such a blunt manner, I guess. Oh, Andrew, what are your thoughts? I mean, not specifically about Christmas, but yeah, if you had any any sort of final takeaways or, or bits of advice about how brands should be approaching messaging in the coming months, uh, what would they be? I think um, just on Christmas, I think it's an interesting one because what we've seen is that people are planning earlier for Christmas, um, but also you have the added... Uh, World Cup that goes in there that's as well. Right, yeah. So it's just, is a really unique time anyway. So I think that's all, there was already a bit of a minefield in terms of planning for those, those events. Um, I think if for me, uh, the one thing that's very clear from our own data, and obviously we deliver, you know, millions and millions of, of page views and content across our portfolio related to the cost of living. 
Um, and we have a, a very intelligent uh, insight tool, which uh, using neuro-linguistic uh, processing, which enables us to understand the sentiment of the content and correlate performance with that. And what's very clear is that content that has a, a kind of sentiment around being calm and collected on the uh, and, and positive as well on the cost of living drives much higher engagement. So I think the lesson there is that brands should think about alleviating and and not <laughs> rather than rather than scaring or making your uh, making consumers feel more anxious um, about about what's going on. Um, and then I think the other thing is just you know we talk about focusing on what, what I call the, the the value value overlap. Um, is that, you know we know brands will communicate in in multiple ways, but I think brands focusing on the cost of living should be thinking about the, the value overlap in terms of the relationship between what people perceive as personal value versus how they perceive value when it comes to brand and products. Um, and so you know. My advice is always that brands should communicate across that that kind of value spectrum, and I think actually if you tie that all together nicely, then you can have quite a powerful a powerful message that will resonate and empathise with with consumers. Sounds like some um, very interesting advice there, Andrew. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, cocktail of cost of living, Christmas and football is going to be a very, very interesting challenge for Adland. I'm sure everybody will tune into campaign uh, to see how some of these Christmas campaigns roll out and uh, yeah, and, and just how they get the messaging tone and, and all of that stuff right. Thanks also, Nick, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, I'm afraid that's all we have time for um, for this episode of the Campaign Podcast, which is produced by Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio. As I mentioned, if you'd like to keep up to date with cost of living crisis and how it's impacting Adland and everything else um, we've discussed, please visit campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership and join us today. And do also remember to subscribe to the campaign podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to, please do leave us a lovely review. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, on behalf of the campaign team, goodbye.